It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 608 at News Talk WSB. Walter can't figure out how to put his headphones on his head, and now we're going to have to retrieve them from the floor. Now they are retrieved from the floor. Now they're on his ears. Now he can hear himself. Yay! It's 608, 30 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. Everything is supposed to go like clockwork on this show, and that started the day out with the wrong with the wrong clock, I think. Oh, merciful heavens. Well, nonetheless, I am I am here, you are there, and the Lawn and Garden Show has begun. 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. If you've got any question about your trees, your shrubs, your lawn, your flowers, indoor flowers, what do you do with uh, paper white narcissus, with the amaryllis that you got for the holidays, the poinsettia that you still have, what do we do with them? If you have questions about that, you can give me a call. 404-872-0750. Well, since I brought it up, why don't I talk a little bit about paper white narcissus? Because I went to my neighbor's house and my mother's house and retrieved the paper whites that I'd given them for Christmas. If you remember back mm, a week before Christmas, I guess it was, I went to Pike and got a bunch of paper white narcissus bulbs, and then I went to... Michael's Crafts Place, I guess, and got a got a bunch of glass bowls, and I filled the bowls about three inches, I guess, full of pebbles, and put the paper white narcissus bulbs in the pebbles, sort of pushed them down about a half inch or so into the pebbles, put some water in there so that the level of the water was right level with the bottom of the paper white bulbs, and gave those to my neighbors, to my mother, another couple of friends, and said, you just wait, put this in a sunny window, you just wait, see what happens. And sure enough, by Christmas or a few days after Christmas, the paper white narcissus had big bloom stalks on them, the flowers came out, real fragrant, really, really nice. And then as the days and maybe a week or two or three passed, the leaves got way, 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 way long, and the stalks on which the flowers were, were appearing, they all flopped over. And so then people came to me and said, well, what do we do with it? I said, give it to me. I'll take it back. I'll do something with it in my house. And so I have a little place in my sunroom that has a pretty bright light on it, a fluorescent CFL bulb. And so I put the bright light onto all these little containers of uh, spent paper white narcissus bulbs, and I'm going to keep it inside in the in the sunroom. And then when things get really warm, mid-April or later, maybe the first of May, it'll have to be really, really warm outside. I want warm soil, and I'll plant the bulbs outside and see what happens. I sort of know what happens because I've done it once before, but hey, I only did it with one or two bulbs. So this time I'm going to do it with 10 or 15 bulbs. Generally speaking, paper white narcissus is not going to do very well in Georgia outside, and particularly in the wintertime. It's pretty tender. It's a tender bulb. But if I can remember to dig it up sometime in September or so and cut off the leaves and put it in a dry place and let it sort of go through a period of dormancy, then I can put it out into the bulb the glass containers with the pebbles in the water and do that again sometime before Christmas next year. We will see. It'll just be an experiment just to see what happens. No sense in wasting something that has a chance of, of living. 
We'll just find out. So paper white narcissus can be put in the ground. We will see whether it survives the summer and survives the uh, enforced and all that until next Christmas. Check back in about 11 months from now, and we'll let you know what happens. Amaryllis, much the same. Amaryllis can be planted outside. You cut off the stalk that has the flower on it and um, leave the leaves on and put it in a sunny window inside and wait until it's warm enough to, to plant it outside. And then it can be left outside. The wintertime, sometimes if it's really, really cold, and if you don't have much mulch around the bulbs, the amaryllis will die during the wintertime. But I've got at least three good-sized bulbs, actually. Good three sizes. Ooh, they're about this big, big as my fist. Hold it in front of the microphone here so you can see. About as big as my fist. Amaryllis bulbs that have so far gone through the winter just fine. Have green leaves picking up about two inches out of the ground. And so I'm going to leave them there. We'll see what happens. Even with the cold weather that we had a couple of weeks ago, they still seem to be fine. Let me repeat the phone number. 404-872-0750. And let's go with the phones. We've got Turner in North Atlanta, who joins us on Lawn and Garden. Turner, hey, good morning. Good morning, sir, and thank you for this program and all you do for our community. Well, thank you, Turner. My question is about ivy that over years has been allowed to get way up into some large trees. Sure. Um, we recently heard your instructions about at the base of the tree to pry it away carefully so as to not damage the tree and yeah. cut it. So we have severed it right there at the ground. Um what should we expect from this point? Will it sort of die and fall uh, out, uh, or or do we have to try and pull it out? And I know the stalks get sort of, uh, not brittle, but they're weak yeah. when you pull yeah. a section, but you can only pull just a foot or two, and then it snaps off. It snaps off. right off. You're exactly right. You've got the same experience that I have with it. It will surprise you, Turner, how long the green part that's above your slice where you cut the cut the vine off next to the ground but the part that's up on the tree even though it's not parasitic even though it is not connected to the tree in any way or form or fashion it will stay green until i'll bet you june or july wow and you'll say man what do i got to do to kill this stuff but it is slowly dying it just takes a long time to finally react to no water nothing coming up from the roots because you cut them apart and so by hot weather time, when July starts, I would guess, that's when you'll start seeing them pretty quickly to turn yellow. The leaves will all turn yellow, then they'll turn brown. And then the leaves will cling to the vine for another couple of months until the rain, maybe a little snow or ice is taking it all off. So by this time next year, you probably won't see much left on the tree, but it'll just surprise you how slow the process wow. will go. Generally, is a tree safe until it gets out where the leaves are? In other words, if ivy on the trunk is usually uh, not going to kill the tree, or yeah. when is sort of the real danger point for a tree? I think, yeah, when it gets up into the limbs, when it's coming up the trunk and then starts going out the limbs and is shading out limbs below that, and it gets pretty aggressive when it gets up to that height. So right. if it's just on the trunk, there's not that much danger to the tree, but then again, there's not that many years before it starts going out the limbs and then becoming a danger, I think, to the tree. What's the saying? It creeps and then it leaps. Yeah, first first year it sleeps, next year it creeps, and the third year it leaps. <laughs> That's what people say about a lot of, of vines and English ivy, not exception. No exception to that. Yeah, it is. Um, the first year it doesn't do much of anything, but by three years old, that's when it starts climbing up that trunk of that tree. 
So that's exactly right. So, Turner, I would also remind you to pull the vine back from the base of the tree, pull it back two or three or four feet, and cut it off so there's a nice ring or you know, ivyless land or uh, mulch maybe underneath the tree so it doesn't get a chance to climb up it again. Oh, good point. Yeah, some of these were as, you know, uh, as big as your arm. I mean, yeah. three or four inches across. But I know exactly what you mean about you try to pull it off the trunk and it just snaps. Just a foot long, it just snaps right off. I found something. Turner, I will share with you something that I found that was very useful. Let's put it that way. Very useful. And not everybody will have this tool. But I have a little tool called a, let's see, it's called a reciprocate. It's not a reciprocating saw, although I guess a reciprocating sawzall would work just as well. But it's a little tool that has a vibrating blade on the front of it, a multi-tool. Maybe that's the name for it. Right. Uh-huh. A little multi-tool. And my neighbor was, uh, he was <laughs> a little behind the ball, and he had let the ivy climb up the side of his house, up the siding. And it was going up and getting into the soffit, almost ready to turn around where the gutters were. Right, yeah. And he came to me one day with exactly the same problem that you have. He'd pull the vine, and it, you know, three or four inches on the siding, it would snap off, and he was just not making much, uh, much progress with it. And so I got my little multi-tool out there, and use that vibrating blade to go underneath the vine where it attached to the siding of his house. Lo and behold, it worked great, Turner. You could just go and it would take the vine right off the siding of his house. It was fabulous. That's a great suggestion. Yeah. nobody. And again, not everybody has one of those little multi-tools, but they're not terribly expensive. Maybe you could rent one. Maybe you could borrow one from a neighbor. But when I saw how easily it took the vine off of the siding and sort of smoothed down all the little bumps that they have with those hole fasts that the ivy uses to cling to surfaces, I thought, man, I need to tell people about this. So, Turner, you're the very first person ever that I've told about this, but I remember how easy it was to take it off of uh, my neighbor's house when we got that multi-tool behind. Nothing to it. To recap, then, expect the better part of a year before it would start maybe to fall off on its own. Yeah, I think that's a good good, uh, prediction, sure. Thank you so much, sir. Turner, it is my great pleasure to talk to you. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you, sir. Coming up in the next half hour, Nancy up in Jasper says she has a hydrangea. The problem is it's not bushing out exactly like Nancy wants it to do, and so she needs some advice on that. We'll talk to Nancy in just a little bit. Roy and Marietta has some questions about cutting back his azaleas. The azaleas, do you cut them back now? Do you wait till after they bloom? Do you, maybe they're encore azaleas and they're blooming all the time. When do you cut those back? We've got answers to that as well. Right now it is 617, and you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. A nice day. Hey, today is going to be pretty nice outside. Sunshine in the afternoon, pretty warm in the afternoon. Highs in the low 60s and overnight lows are dropping down to the low 30s. Can't beat that. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Nancy is in Jasper, Georgia and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Hello. Nancy. Hey, Nancy. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'm up and I'm clothed and fed and it's pretty well all three that I need to be at this time. Well, of morning. that's good. How can I how can I help, Nancy? I have got some hydrangeas. I absolutely love hydrangeas and um these 
I've only been here, been at this address for about two years, but they are just skinny and huh. they won't. They're pitiful looking. Oh, bless it! <laughs> and hearts. I want them to be. I want them to look like my grandmothers. You know, they they were always so full and had the yeah. prettiest flowers on them. Yeah. And, I don't know what to do with them. Let me make sure that you have the mop head hydrangeas, the blue or the pink. When they have flowers, they're blue or pink, right? right? Okay. Yes. Um, and how many stalks do you think it has? Two, twelve? Where in between? <laughs> Probably four or five. Is it in full sunshine or full shade, or what's it got? There, um, it gets sun um, in the morning, morning yeah. sun. Uh-huh. For about how long do you think? Four hours, six hours? Probably about estimate. five or six. Uh-huh. Should be fine. All right, so what I've established, just about a couple of questions for you, is that number one, it is a, what we call a large leaf hydrangea, which has some rules about when you can prune it and not hurt the flowers on it. We've established that it has enough sunshine to flower, and I think we've established pretty well that you're not happy with it. You want it to have <laughs> more, more stalks than three or four or five maybe on it. Yeah, yeah. Here's what probably I would do, but you can do something different. You got perfect permission to do something different from what I would do. Me would probably let it grow, see what flowers, and do the major pruning on it after it's flowered. Because uh-huh. I just want to see if it's going to flower this this early summer, May or June. Uh-huh. On the other hand, you could say it'll probably get a lot more stalks if I do the pruning now. I'm not going to have any flowers on it because if you prune them now, prune this big leaf hydrangea now, then the uh, stalks that come up after that are not going to have flower buds on them. They, the flower bud stalks were the ones that are on it right this minute. If you take them off, you have no flowers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have the choice. If It's not going to kill the plant to do either one. But with one process, if you prune it now, it's not going to have any flowers in May and June, but it will probably have a lot more stalks to it and be a lot bushier. On the other hand, if you wait until after it's flowered in May and June, you will get some regrowth, and it may get pretty bushy. It sounds like you have enough sunshine for it to get reasonably bushy by the end of the fall, mm-hmm. and it will probably recover then, but you then now have from now until when pruning time in late June to look at the, the stalks and make you mad. Either way, it doesn't bother me. It's no skin off my nose, Nancy, but you could do either one. You won't hurt the hydrangea. It's just when you want it to flower or if you want it to flower this year. How far down should I prune? I mean, should I... Because I'd rather go ahead and prune it, let it be bushy, and then, you know... um, I would do it down to 12 inches from the ground. 12 from the ground. Okay. All right, then. Thank you so very much. It is my great pleasure. And let's sell it, hydrangea. I said hello. Okay, I will. As you're pruning it, you say, Walter said hello to you, Hydrangea. Okay, I will. And cut it off. All right, thanks for <laughs> Thank calling, Thank you. Nancy. Uh-huh, bye-bye. It's 627 and one-half at News Talk WSB. Our number, 404-872-0750. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 
Okay, a little bit of insight into what happens during the breaks when the commercials are on, the news is on, traffic's on, everything's on, and you're wondering, what are, what are Ashley and Scott doing there in this time? Cat videos. Hysterical laughing, hysterical cackling coming out of the, uh, out of the control room where Scott and Ashley are watching cat videos. Just want you to know, if you have a cat video you really, really, really think they ought to see, then I guess call us, email us, let us know. Ashley will rate them and tell you which one she thinks is best. Right. It's 636 at News Talk, WSB, 404-872-0750. Get that number out one more time, 404-872-0750. Who comes next? Roy and Marietta comes next. Hey, Roy, good morning. Good morning. I hope you're doing fine. We're doing fine. As long as we've got more cat videos to watch, we're doing fine, Roy. Uh, thanks for taking my call. A question about a vehicle on a long walkway. Yeah. Uh, just cutting them back because they're getting in the way of the walk, you know? Yeah. What, so you, is, it, is it time to do that now? You, you got the same situation as the lady earlier. If you prune the azaleas now, the buds are right there on the tips of all the limbs. That's what's going to flower in um, two or three weeks from now. Oh, and so if you prune them now, you have no flowers. But oh. you'll get a lot bushier plant if you prune them now and let it recover from that without having to worry about flowering. Well, lavender and pink, we want to hold on to them, so I guess we'll... Leave and just let them be in the way. I think they'll be fine. I mean, actually, Roy, if you just um, wait until after they flowered, and it doesn't matter if it's a day or two days or a week or two after they flower, and then go out and prune them down to whatever size and shape and everything you think looks good, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, thank you. A quick question on the tall crape myrtle. Sure. Crape myrtle, but more like crape myrtle tree, you know, 10 or 12 feet or more high. I, I want to cut them way back, about a half inch, because... Uh, I still had fungus on them last mm. year, and uh, maybe they're not getting enough sunshine because the trees have gone. Yeah. Uh, how much sun, sunlight do they need? Uh, I guess it's like us. It's a big difference between what you need and what you what you actually consume. I mean, forget them to bloom. When it comes to cookies, chocolate chip cookies, you know, what I need is none, but what I consume is three or four or five. Yeah. <laughs> so... They don't need pruning at all. Crepe myrtles bloom just fine without pruning. But if you do the sort of severe cutback that it seems like you're inquiring about, what will happen is you'll have more of the same fungus because fungi in general like new lush leaves. And by cutting back the crepe myrtle down to half of where it is right now, down to five or six feet tall, it's going to have nothing but lush growth this coming spring and summer. And all that lush growth is really, really attractive to powdery mildew disease, to aphids who like to suck the sap and they secrete honeydew so you get this black stuff all over the leaves and the trunk and the ground. So if I can encourage you, maybe, hopefully, Roy, not to do a severe cutback, just to do sort of a selective one where you take out this branch here all the way to where it originates, and maybe this branch over here all the way down to where it originates, and not cut off the trunk at four or five feet tall, I think you're going to be a lot happier and less disease as a result. What's the, what's the best uh, fungus uh, treatment? Mm, it depends on why the fungus is there. If it's powdery mildew, some people really have had good success with neem oil. Oil on the powdery mildew fungus seems to do a really good job at controlling it, so neem oil is what you use there. Um, if the fungus comes because there are aphids that are sucking sap and secreting honeydew and the black, uh, black sooty mold gets on it then, then it's really not a fungicide you need. It's an insecticide to kill the aphids. Once the aphids are dead, you don't have any sooty mold anymore. 
And what kind of oil? What, what, what some neem. Go to, go to Pike and just say, I need some neem. N-E-E-M. Neem oil. Oh, okay. Okay. That'll work. Well, great. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for calling, Roy. Appreciate the program. Thanks. You bet. See you, man. It's 639. We've got two. Anthony in Rex, Georgia. Join us on Lawn and Garden. Anthony, hey, good morning. Hey, good morning. How you doing? I'm all right. How can I help? Uh, I got some grass. It looks like grass. It just grows between December and February, it looks like. It just sure. comes up sure. all of a sudden, and it spreads kind of fast. <laughs> and it's taking over my other grass. Yeah. There are people right now, again, driving around Atlanta listening to this show, Anthony, who immediately know exactly what you have. It's called annual bluegrass, or poa annua, or if you're a real old dude, they call it poa anner. So it's either poa anner or poa annua or annual bluegrass. You call it what you want to call it. And uh, it is exactly what you describe. It grows between, I would say, November is when I start noticing a little bit of it. And yeah, up through May, fast, as soon as it gets hot, then all it just disappears. You don't see it anymore until the next November. And then you got even more of it all over the lawn. Exactly. And it spreads and spreads and spreads. And the best way to interrupt the whole life cycle is to put a chemical on the ground in September that keeps the seeds from germinating because the seeds are what are coming back every year. It doesn't come back from the roots at all, just from seeds. Exactly. And so you go to a pike or a garden center and say, I need a weed preventer. I need a weed pre-emergent chemical. And this is done sometime around the first to the middle of September before the seeds have a chance to germinate. This keeps them from germinating, and the grass doesn't come back. This is great. Okay, so I can, there's nothing I can do now. Just wait to first. Uh, if you if you want to do something, I'll give you. I think probably the safest thing to do is to get a old t-shirt or a towel or something like that and wrap it around the end of a leaf rake and you know tie it in place or staple it in place whatever way you get it to, to get to the uh, end of the leaf rake and then spray it with Roundup and then just sort of wipe it across any of that green grass that you see in your dormant other grass. Your other grass doesn't need any chemical sprayed on it but you just sort of paint it on. Paint the Roundup onto the green grass and that'll kill a lot of it. It won't kill all of it but it'll kill a lot of the green grass, the annual blue grass you're seeing now. All right. All Just right. Get, get a rag or something and put it on the end of a rake. You got and it. Put some Roundup on it and then just wipe it across the uh, bluegrass. You got it. That's exactly right, Anthony. All right. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be of service to you. See you, man. Thanks for calling. All right. You have a nice weekend. 42 minutes past the hour gives Cody in Jasper, Georgia, his turn. Cody, hey, good morning. Welcome to Lawn and Garden. Good morning, Walter. How can I help, Cody? I was calling. I had an issue with varied carpet beetles. Um, they didn't. We bought our house about two years ago, and they showed up about six or seven months after we bought our house. Yeah. And I cannot figure out where they're coming from or how to get rid of them. We've had them sprayed, and they still keep coming back. Ooh. I mean, that was going to be my suggestion. You need a professional because. When you're spraying insecticides inside the house, I'd much rather it be a pro who's been trained, who knows which insecticides are labeled for use indoors, rather than saying, oh, Cody, go to the hardware store and get some spray and spray around the corners and do this and that and the other, because I just feel like there's a lot, it's a lot safer to have a professional do the spraying rather than you. Honestly, I would call the company that did the spraying back and say, 
I'm not satisfied. It hadn't it hadn't fixed my problem. I need you to fix my problem. I don't want any more carpet beetles and let them respray or do what they can for their for their guarantee. Okay, I just my wife was looking. I mean, we keep our house, you know, extremely clean, sure. and she was looking online and found something called Delta dust. But I, yeah. that's what I told her I was going to let my pest control man try to see what you know he thought. Delta dust and, is uh, the chemical name for it is delta methrin, and okay. it is one of the there's several there are five or six I guess pyrethroid insecticides. The problem with delta dust is it is a dust, and if you get it into the carpet and then vacuum the carpet, it comes in. It may come some of it through the bag in your vacuum cleaner, and then you spread it all over the house, and then all of a sudden your wife or eyes are sort of watery and drippy, and you have a cough that you can't get rid of. And those are the side effects of putting down too much deltamethrin. That's why I think you need a pro. Okay. Well, all right. Well, I'll get him back out there. Like I said, he sprayed several times. He'd done some different stuff when he was there just the other day, and he said that yeah. if that didn't kill him this time, we'd, we'd go to Plan B. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, just as long so, as Plan B is not spraying more and more and more chemicals in your environment. I don't want you to do that, and hopefully you'll tell him, look, I need the minimum applied of what will do the job. I don't want to come back and you know, have this cough and have my eyes watering and have all these reactions to the pyrethroid chemicals, which can happen if you get an overdose of them. But well, pros, right, pros will sure know what to do. Pro professionals, generally speaking, know what they're doing. They've been trained. They have a license. And I'm sure your guy, hopefully, will know what to do and get rid of those carpet beetles there. Hey, Cody, thanks for calling. Let's go to the next person in line. we got Mark in Lilburn, Georgia. Mark, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey. Hey, Walter. Hey, Walter. How are you? All right, Mark. What's up? Uh, last year, I had a bumper crop of webworms in my trees. I mean, it's, it seemed to be worse than usual. Yeah. So is there anything I can do now? I, I thought you would said once upon a time, over the winter, they tend to fall into the ground and, and pupate, I think is the word. Is there anything I can spray on the ground now to prevent uh, them from... Uh, the- other some other insects do fall to the ground, pupate under the soil, and then emerge again. But the the tent caterpillars, if that's what you're talking about, are in sort of these what would you call them? Little styrofoam looking things is the best way I can describe it. Little styrofoam looking things on the limbs of the trees as they were infesting real badly last year. Usually cherry trees is what they generally like the most is a cherry tree, and if you are you know, reasonably patient, you can go up and down the limbs and find those little sty- brown styrofoam little capsules, a bunch of them uh, encapsulated around the same point, and just rub them off. Just take your hand and dit, 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 rub them off, and that way they're dead, they're down on the ground, they will get eaten by creatures that live in the soil, and that'll be the end of that story. So, yeah, you can find them, but it takes you know, patience and a warm afternoon, and you climbing up a ladder and going around in the limbs of the tree. So... You oh, I'm either. sorry. I guess I miss you. I'm, I misspoke. I'm looking for those. You know, it, it's uh, you know the mass. It almost looks like a mass of spider webs. And that, and do they appear in the spring or well, in the they, fall? They, well, they're more towards the fall. But this, but last year they were more in the summer. And then it, as, as fall came, it was infinitely worse. Then uh, you're right. I wasn't talking about the same one. The ones that appear in summer and fall are called fall webworms. 
And for them, you know, really and truly, I think the best control is simply to pull the webs out of the tree. Just expose the caterpillars to predators like hornets and wasps and yellow jackets and things that love to eat little caterpillars and just take the net off of them so they don't have any protection anymore and let nature do its business. I don't think there's any need to spray into the net. There's no prevention particularly to put on the ground beforehand. I think it's just allowing nature to get them by taking the web out. Yeah, some of them were really high up, and I couldn't get to them, so I, I didn't know if there was. In, in, and I'm gonna show you how old I am. I didn't know if you could spray like malathion. Ooh, old. That's old, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have malathion <laughs> anymore. <laughs> that was taken off the market years and years and years, years and years ago. Yeah. Back when, when, well, I won't say how long ago that was, but it was a while. It was a while ago, Mark. <laughs> Tell you what, between now and the fall, here's your job. When you're driving around, see if you can find somebody that has a little grove of bamboo in their backyard or front yard or by the, you know, by the river as you drive, and go down and cut the tallest one and uh, take it home with you. And then when you see the webworms this fall, you can take the piece of bamboo and just run it up in the tree and knock all those webs out. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I'll, find I'll something long and sort of rough on the ends, raggedy on the ends, and use that. Pull those webs out and tell the fall webworms to be the be the first item on the menu of the yellow jackets and hornets and wasps and things like that that do love to eat them. Hey, Mark, thanks for calling. We've got to get out of here at 648, and you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates four times an hour all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 4.30 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. This is going to go ooh, ooh, ooh for a while. Just a little bit more. Black and orange straight cats we're not talking about cats. We're talking about cat videos. That's what we're talking about. Ashley and Scott and their cat videos. It's 6.54 and a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. You know, last weekend, not so much fun. Although One day it was pretty sunny in the afternoon. This weekend, guaranteed sun. It's going to be sunny. Highs in the low 60s this afternoon. Lows tonight in the well, maybe low to low to mid 30s, I guess is what we'll call it. Not a bad day at all. If you've got garden things to do, today would be the day to do it. And your full weekend forecast will come up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Welcome back to Lawn and Garden. Gail is with us. Gail from Dunwoody, and she is on the air. Hey, Gail. Good morning. Hi, Walter. How are you? I'm well, Gail. How can I help? Uh, well, the winter weather has thrown off my gardening schedule. Do you have to adhere to the schedule that you have, or can we have a little flexibility with that schedule? Well, according to you, I was supposed to <laughs> fertilize in February. Fertilize, Pre-emergent in March, and uh-huh. fertilize in April. So I don't garden when it's cold. I miss the oh, February oh, fertilize. Oh, oh, oh. And this is on a lawn, right? Fescue lawn? Correct. Do it this afternoon. Fescue's going to love you if you do it this afternoon. It's not going to be too upset if you miss that February feeding. You'll be fine. So can, should I just go ahead with the March pre-emergent and fertilize in April? Yeah, I think or, that... Or, or, or fertilize pre-emergent, fertilize later. If I were going to do it, it would be what you just described. Fertilize now in March with a regular full-strength application of lawn fertilizer. 
Pre-emergent could be put out now. I don't think there's anything wrong with putting a pre-emergent out in the 1st of March. So that's right now. That'd be fine if you have a combo weed and feed type product. That would be okay with me. Or you can get a pre-emergent separate from the fertilizer and apply it. No, no preference either way. But the one, the fertilizer application you do in April, since it's already March now that you're feeding the lawn right now, I think the one in April would be around the middle to late April and maybe not completely full strength. If it says six pounds per thousand square feet, cut that back to four or five maybe per thousand because I don't want the fescue to have a lot of fertilizer on it going into the, into the summertime when it has a lot of fertilizer going into May and June. Uh, fescue sometimes has brown patch and has other diseases on that lush grass and so I want it to have a little bit of time to slow itself down. So yeah, fertilize now, pre-emergent soon if not now, and then in April half to three-quarter strength fertilizer so it does not have a lot of lush growth on it in June and July. Okay, got that, Gail? We got it at 657 at News Talk WSB. Our number is 404 872 And we'll be back right after news. Bye. 